We're going to finish our series this morning entitled Faith, Hope, and Love. Uh, This series was uh, uh, inspired by a verse in 1 Corinthians uh, 13. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13 says, Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Now when the Bible says these three remain, there's two ways that we could take that. I think they're both true. Uh, One is that they'll... They'll always be, they are, and they always will be a part of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, In the preceding verses, Paul talks about the end of the world as we know it. He says, right now, we're looking through a dark glass, and it's kind of dim, but there's going to come a time when we're going to see face to face. Right now, we're limited in our knowledge, but there's going to come a time when we're going to know fully as we're known. And he says, in that time, these three will remain, faith, hope, and love. So these are going to be a part of the economy of heaven. Uh, whenever we get there, faith, hope, and love will be a part of, of that kingdom. Uh, a second thing that I believe that this verse means is these three things, faith, hope, and love, are to be a constant part of the believer's life now. Uh, each of these three things should be, should be present. Uh, they should be more than just decor that we kind of hang in our life every now and then. On Sunday, we sing about love and, and we, we talk about faith every now and then. Or, or we, you know, we have decor on our wall. These things are much more than just words that we throw around. These are vital parts of the Christian life. Uh, they should penetrate every relationship. They should infiltrate every decision. They should be a part of every response. Our lives should be governed by faith and by hope and by love. Now, each week we tried to give a definition for the concept we're dealing with that week. And when we talked about faith, we we talked about how faith is more than just believing facts. The Bible says even the demons believe facts. Uh, Biblical faith is believing something to the point of action. I talked about how I thought faith in the Bible could simply be equated with trust. When we have faith in God, we transfer our trust from ourselves and we put it over on to God. Last week, Pastor uh, uh, Wayne Braswell, one of our teaching pastors, spoke for us and he talked about the concept of hope. He dealt with Romans chapter 8 and what an awesome chapter. If there is ever a chapter that you just spend a lot of time dealing with Uh, get in Romans chapter 8, read it over and over. It will encourage your heart and it will build you as a believer. But we we have hope, and as I listened to him last week, I thought if I had to put one word with hope, it would be confidence. We have confidence that our sins are forgiven. We have confidence that we really are a part of God's family. We have confidence that he is with us and that he'll never leave us and that he will take us to heaven when we die. We have great hope in God. This week we're going to talk about love. And to be perfectly honest with you, it wasn't easy to come up with a definition for love. You'd think that that would be the easiest definition of all because we sing about love, we, we talk about love in church. It, 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 love is how we describe God, that God is love, but yet coming up with a one-word definition was kind of hard this week. If I had to give a one-word definition, it would be the word sacrifice. But love's more than that. It's not simply sacrifice. It's no strings attached sacrifice. It's sacrifice that is is complete and unconditional. It's always others-focused sacrifice. 
So if I had to write a definition, this is what I came up with this week. Love is a sacrificial, unconditional giving of oneself for the good of another. That is how I understand love. So when we read 1 Corinthians 13, he says these three things, this trust, this confidence, and this sacrificial giving of oneself for the good of another should always be a part of our life. And they're always going to be a part of our life in the kingdom. Now, these three things are interesting to me because they all have a vertical component. We put our faith in God. We have hope because of our faith in God. It's Godward, faith and hope. And even our love, we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. But then when we read these, these three things that are all going to be a part of the kingdom, they should all be in our life right now. When we read this passage, the passage says, but the greatest of these is love. Now that word greatest is a big word, you know, because this, uh, you know, when you start talking greatest and best, you get some pretty strong opinions. If not, if you don't believe that, look on the internet, you know, uh, you know, you, you can argue over things from, you know, what is the greatest movie to who's the greatest singer uh, to what is the greatest Christmas special on TV. And people will go to the mat over some of these things. But Paul, he makes this statement. We've got faith, hope and love forever. But the greatest of these is love. And he expects no pushback. It's like the church accepted that that was the case. The greatest virtue in heaven and the greatest virtue in your life is to be the love that comes from God. Why is it the greatest? Well, let me give you three reasons. Number one, faith and hope are both dependent upon love. You can't have faith or hope without it. It was love that brought us to faith. In fact, we sang just a minute ago, bless the Lord, and it talks about he's rich in love, and it was his kindness, Romans 2 says, leads us to repentance. And so if God hadn't showed us his loving kindness, we would have never repented and put our faith in God. Faith is dependent on, on love. Now, also, hope is dependent upon love. We have hope in God because he has proven so faithful and so good and so loving and so kind that we put our, our, our faith in. Our, our hope in him uh, and our faith in him. But have you ever thought about how different those two things are than what God does? You see, you might think, well, yeah, we love because God loves and we have faith because God has faith and we have hope because God has hope. Who does God put faith in? Who, what does God hope for? The reason he says the greatest of these is love is love is the only divine activity that we get to participate in. When we love, we look like the divine. When, when we show our love to others, we are showing what God has shown to us. God sacrifices. God acts on behalf of others. God extends his kindness unconditionally. God loves. And we're never more like God than when we do as well. And love is the greatest because it is the evidence of God's working in our life. Jesus declared that the distinguishing mark of the believer was love. John 13, I give you a new commandment. Jesus says, love one another. Just as I've loved you, this is what you're to do to each other. In the very next verse, he says, 
And this is how everybody's going to know that you have been impressed by me because you have my love in your life. If you don't have love for one another, they're going to wonder. First John, or excuse me, back in 1 Corinthians, he says, Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. I'm asked to read this passage a lot at weddings. Uh, probably 50% of the weddings I do ask me to read this. Y'all, y'all know 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. I, I read this at weddings all the time. Those words are beautiful and they grab people's hearts, but when I read these words at weddings, I don't hear love is patient, I see Corinthians. Because it's really strange that these words show up in 1 Corinthians. If you know your Bible well, 1 Corinthians is anything but a love letter. 1 Corinthians is a hammer in a glass house. It is a hard word from Paul. He delivers this word to a church that's fighting over which pastor they think is the greatest. They're fighting over how you should pray in church. They're fighting over some real immorality, whether they should deal with it or not. They're fighting over how to take communion and whether or not it was okay to sue each other in court. And they were fighting over spiritual gifts, over how you, I'm a better person in the kingdom because I preach and you just sit there and listen. (laughs) They were fighting over stuff like that. And Paul responds to them by saying, what are you doing? You're out of your mind. You believe in Jesus. You're not supposed to act like this. And it's almost like he's unloading on them because they sent him an inbox of complaints. And so chapter 1 through 12 is just, Paul going at them with all he's got. But then all of a sudden you get to chapter 13. He says, love is patient, love is kind. And it's almost like, where did this come from? But if you think about it, what Paul is doing is he's showing them, here's the answer to your problems. You want to quit fighting? You want to start enjoying church? You want to please God? Here's what you got to do. You got to love one another. And you got to love each other well. He says, that this is who we're supposed to be. He would say the same thing to us. As a church, we are to be known by our love, not by which political party we support. We're known by our love, not by which spiritual gift you have. We're to be known by our love, not who wins the theological argument and outmaneuvers another in, in, in some uh, spiritual uh, uh fight. No, who loves the most? That's what we're to be known for. Paul doesn't pull any punches. And he says, you want to fix this? It's easy. Love. When we come to 1 Corinthians at the beginning of the chapter, he gives three hypotheticals. And they all come to the same conclusion. He says, if I speak with the tongue of men and angels, if I'm eloquent or I seem like I'm talking to God or, or if, if I speak with the tongue of men or angels, it doesn't matter if I don't love. All I am is talk. Verse, the rest of verse 13, 1 says, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, when you read this, think of kids beating pots and pans. You know? It's cute for a while, but there's a reason that parents put locks on their cabinets down low. It's not for Drano and cleaner. It's to keep them out of the pots and pans from beating on them all the time. You know, grandparents are the only ones who buy drums for Christmas. You know, (laughs) parents don't want that. Paul's saying, if you don't have love, all you are is noise. And if I were to simplify that today, if you don't love, 
it doesn't matter what you say. It makes no difference. It doesn't do any good. Unfortunately, this is how many churches are viewed in our communities. It's only talk. As people who come together and beat our drums on Sunday and just put out empty noise. Just noise. Our world needs our words. But many of our communities are lacking an expression of what those words say. Our our world doesn't need a new definition of Christianity. Our world needs an authentic demonstration of Christianity. They need to see people who love. Christianity in word only is hollow. We must love in word and deed. But it doesn't only matter what you say if you don't love. It doesn't matter what you know. Look at verse 2. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy and I have all understanding or knowledge... And, and, and if I have faith to move mountains, which is a reference to what Jesus said, if you have that kind of understanding in your mind that you can put trust in God, it, it, it doesn't make any difference if I don't have love. If you're void of love, you could be a pastor of a church or a teacher of a life group or a chair of a nonprofit or a dean of a seminary. But it's meaningless if you don't have love because God doesn't give out gold stars for loveless intellect. The Bible says they're not worth anything if you don't love. He takes it one step further. He says, not only does it not matter what you say or or what you know, if you don't have love, it doesn't matter what you do. Notice notice what he says in in verse uh, 3. He says, and if I give away all of my possessions, and if I give over my body to martyrdom in order to boast, if I don't have love, what's it gain me? This is the trickier of the three hypotheticals. The first two are pretty easy. You know, we want to be more than a clanging gong or cymbal. We want to amount to something in our life. Uh, But the problem we have with this verse is those first two things, to give away our possessions, is sacrificial. And that's in the definition of love. And to lay your life down, it seems sacrificial. Those things seem to be inherent in love. But what he's saying here, I believe, is that you can give yourself away and still be selfish. You can serve God or others for your benefit. And here's what he says. You do that, show up, be religious, do your thing, give your money, try your best. But if you don't have love, it doesn't matter. It amounts to nothing. You see, you can show traits of love and not be a Christian. But you cannot be a Christian and not love. Love is the singular revealing fruit that must be displayed in believers. Again, Jesus said by this, people will know that you're my disciples. You know, some people want to dismiss Jesus' words and say, oh, that doesn't matter. Jesus, you know, no, this matters. Jesus says by this, people will know that you're my disciples. Now, I almost preached 1 John chapter 4 this week, uh, and I was going to go straight through 1 John chapter 4, but we've been gone for three weeks, so I just thought I'll preach both 1 Corinthians and 1 John 4, okay? So we're going to look at quite a bit at 1 John 4 today, but it says, Dear friends, let us love one another. Why? Because love is from God. And here it is. Everyone who loves has been born of God. Amen. God made us lovers, not haters. But then he says in the next verse, listen to this. The one who does not love does not know God. 
You can't whitewash this. If you don't love, you don't know God. That's, that's what the scripture teaches. This is how to tell the difference between the people who are children of God and the people who are not. And Paul doesn't leave us guessing as to what that looks like. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, in verses 4 through 7, he gives these descriptors of love. He says, when you love, you're patient. When you love, you're not flying off the handle. You're not set off by quirky people because you recognize that they're not perfect just like you're not. And when you love, you're patient with your kids and with your spouse and with your boss and with your coworkers. And you're kind. There's a gentleness to love. A friendliness to love that takes time for a child, that provides care for a stranger. That's what love is. It's kind. You know, I mentioned earlier that it's hard to describe love sometimes and it's hard to define love. And so if you notice, there's only a couple of is. Love is and there's a whole lot of is nots because it's real easy to see when love is not present. Right? And he says, love is not envious. Love celebrates other people's wins instead of secretly resenting them. Love is not, hap- uh, is not uh, miserable because their life is miserable so much so that they don't root for other people. You see somebody else's family doing well, you celebrate, even if your family's struggling. Love can praise God for the success of another even when they don't feel successful love and love is not boastful love brags on others it doesn't have to be the hero of every story anyone who tells you that they're the most humble person they know is not humble no matter what office they hold but being unloving is as much of a heart problem as it is a speech problem. Because it's not just uh, boastful, it's also arrogant. And arrogance kind of internal. You think you're better than. A haughty spirit can be found in suburbs and classrooms, in corporations, and unfortunately in churches. There's no room in the kingdom of God to think you're better than another person. None. Even if you don't say it. Arrogance is not love. And love is not rude. I'll be honest with you. When I read this list, this is the one that gets my blood boiling. I can't stand rude. I, I, I just can't stand it. Someone cuts in line. Oh, that make, even if it's not in front of me, I get frustrated. How could you do that? Someone is rude to somebody in customer service. Who are you? Who do you think you are? You know, somebody cusses another person. I can't stand that. It frustrates me. I never look at that person and say, Wow, they're a really loving soul. But here's what I found. (laughs) I have an easier time spotting love out the window than I do spotting it in the mirror. Or excuse me, I have an easier time spotting rudeness out the window than I do spotting it in the mirror. Any of you that way? You can see it when somebody else doesn't treat you right, but when you're... 
You, if you had the day I had, you'd act like I'm acting. Be careful. Love is not rude. And love is not self-seeking. Real love doesn't have an agenda or an angle. Love is not friends with you to get something. It's not after your stuff. It's not after your network. It's not after your influence. Real love is interested in your good. And love is not irritable. Now this goes hand in hand with patience. But there's an opportunity to love when things don't go your way. You know, when there's a real opportunity when the Wildcats are on TV and your wife wants to talk to you with 10 seconds left to go in the game. You know, love is not irritable. And in case my wife is listening to this, love does not keep a record of wrongs. (laughs) (laughs) Scorekeeping is not loving. (laughs) Revenge through historical prosecution is not love. Love takes no joy in unrighteousness. It doesn't take joy in getting even or harming others or belittling people. Loving people rejoices in the truth. that They don't lie to get their way. They don't have to, to tell half-truths to, to manipulate others. These are the way the... These are the things the world does. Love is different. Love puts up with hard people. It... It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never ends. It never fails. It's as if Paul were saying, you want to fix your problems in your church? You want your family to be healthy? You want your relationships to work? Then love each other. That's counseling made easy, by the way. If you come to me for counseling, if my advice to you does not include some form of reflecting the love of Jesus in your response or in your attitude, I've failed to counsel you correctly. It will always involve love. That's who we are. Sometimes we have to love enough to discipline, sometimes enough to distance, but it's always sacrificial and it's always for the good of others. Now I want to shift gears. Because when I read this passage, not only do I see Corinthians, I see myself. And unfortunately, I don't always see myself in a positive light. Sometimes I read this passage and, and, and I feel this tension because I, I haven't always been loving. I try to be patient. I try not to get jealous. I try not to be irritable. But sometimes I fail. Oftentimes I fail. And my guess is there's sometimes you're right there with me. And you might expect me to say at this point, we need to try harder to love. We need to work on our patience. We need to practice humility. But this is where it gets tricky. (laughs) Because no matter how hard I try, I can't pull them off in my own effort. I can't white-knuckle my way to being more loving. It just doesn't work that way. In fact, I would say that love is not an activity that we generate. It's a gift that's given to us. It's something that has been brought down to us. And our ability to love is rooted in the fact that Christ loved us. We love, 1 John 4 says, because he first loved us. And this is why we decorate and celebrate Christmas, because love came down to us. 
Humanity was handcuffed by their own sinfulness with no ability to break loose of the selfish patterns that rejected God and resisted loving others. We were bound to our condition, but love came down. And God did so love the world, so much that he did give us his one and only son so that we wouldn't perish in this loveless life that was self-consumed and others hurting, but we could be delivered from that and delivered from the wrath of God. Jesus came with a purpose. God's love came down in this way. It was revealed among us in this way that he sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live and be set free through him. Then verse 10 says, here's how you know love. Not that we loved God or we deserved God's love. There was nothing in us that deserved the love of God. But he loved us and he sent his son for a purpose. To be the atoning sacrifice. I hate rude. God hates sin. He hates our sin because he knows what it does to others. He knows how harmful it is to us. And even more so, it diminishes his glory. And because of this, he can't stand our sin so much that he self-sacrificed. Jesus, God, the Son, stepped out of eternal glory and stepped into frail humanity. He took on flesh. And he didn't do it just to show us how to live because we knew how to live according to the law. But we couldn't keep the law. So he died to pay the price for our transgression. And because he died, the chains of sin that bound us forever are broken. And we have forgiveness complete in God. Forgiveness that is not conditional on how well I pull this off. And remember the definition of love? It's sacrifice without strings. It's unconditional giving of oneself for the good of another. And Christ came down unconditionally giving himself for our good. And the Bible says that whoever believes in him, whoever puts their trust and their faith in him, they receive hope of eternal life and God starts working out love in their life and through their life. This is what happens to us. And because God loves us in this way, We must love one another. I'd love to stand before you and say I'm perfect in this. I've already stood before you and said I'm not. But I'm so grateful that because Christ lives in me, I do have the ability to love. I might not be patient every time, but I can be patient through Christ living in me. I might not be uh, 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 gentle every time, but I can be gentle through Christ working and living in me. And we want that to be the case because when people look at us and they see the love of God coming from us, that is the greatest testimony we ever have of a life affected by Christ that we can love. No strings attached. I'm not scratching your back so you'll scratch mine. I'm not being nice to you and learning your name so that you'll put a little more in the offering plate. I'm I'm not helping the poor so that we can get our name on TV and everybody get... We love because God loved us. That's who we are. 
And that's who we want to be. A lady who used to attend our church, who they were relocated because of her husband's job, she posted on Facebook this week. I don't know if it was her story, if it was one of those copy and paste, you know, there's a squirrel in my car this morning or something like that. Some of y'all seen that? Yeah, I have no idea what that means. Uh, I don't know what it was, if it was real or not, but here's what she said. I was at Hobby Lobby today, and I heard a loud crash, and something shattered. Being nosy, I walked towards the sound and saw some people whispering and looking back to the end of the next aisle. When I walked down that aisle, I saw an older lady had hit a shelf. And many things had fallen to the ground and broke. She was kneeling on the floor and embarrassed, frantically trying to clean it up. I felt so bad for her. Everyone was just standing there staring at her. So I went and I knelt down beside her. And I told her not to worry. And I started helping her pick up the broken pieces. After a minute, the store manager came. He knelt beside us and he said, leave it to us. We'll clean up this mess the lady was totally embarrassed and said but I need to pay for all this and the manager smiled helped her to her feet and said no ma'am we have insurance for this you don't have to pay for anything now imagine just for a minute the broken pieces of your mistakes and your broken heart that lay shattered from all the blows that life has thrown at you and you're just crushed and you're there trying to collect all of the pieces and fix them for yourself. And now imagine that God comes down. Humbles himself to kneel beside you. And says, I've got your mess covered. I've got your wrong, your brokenness covered. That's what happened. God came down and he fixed what we couldn't fix. God came down and he did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves through the person of Jesus who died on the cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven forever. And he starts putting us back together. And one of the things he does when he puts us back together is he makes us agent, agents of love instead of agents of hate. And that's why Paul says, when he finishes 1 Corinthians 13, he says, you need to do these things, you need to do these things. And he says, pursue love. <laughs> pursue it. You believe the gospel? Don't live like you don't. Pursue love. But okay, now preacher, I thought you said, okay, how do I do that? It's not what you think. Pursuing love is not by white-knuckle effort. Pursuing love is focusing your mind on Christ. When we focus our attention on Him and we fix our gaze on Him, then we, we see uh, the beauty of what should be and we start to see others as He sees them and His love that has been given to us unconditionally can start flowing from us devotionally. So how do you get more patience? Focus on Jesus, who's patient with you. You don't get patience so that Jesus will love you. You get patience, or you get Jesus, and you'll display patience. 
I, I know I, I, I need to not be so boastful or proud. Well, here I can fix that for you. Your sin, the ugly that nobody else knows about, or maybe they do and you don't know that they know about it, your sin is what put Jesus on the cross. He died because of who you are and who you were and, and sometimes who you might be. He died for that. How can you be proud? I, I know i got to let go of jealousy. Well, here's how you let go of jealousy. Quit looking at other people and what they have and start looking at the treasure that is Christ. And if you'll do that, it's amazing how your love will grow. Now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for your forgiveness and for your kindness and your mercy. Lord, if it were not for your mercy and grace, Lord, I know that we would all be destroyed. But God, in your kindness, you have drawn us to what Jesus did. And other people think it's foolish and it's a stumbling block for many in the world, but for us, it's a power of God into salvation. And so, God, we praise you and we thank you, Lord, that we're saved not by our efforts, but by what Christ has done. And, God, I pray, Lord, that we would pursue a life that pleases you. And, Lord, I know that my best efforts can't make me right enough to stand in your presence. I know that is only through Jesus. But, Lord, you've done so much for me in Jesus. I want you to be reflected in my love. God, I pray that you would help your people to live in a way that reflects that we believe Jesus' love for us is greater than anything else in this world. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. Let me give you our takeaways real quick. Number one, this morning, I want you to take home with you that this is who we are. I mean, this, this is who we are. And if you're here and this is not reflected in your life, it could be because you, you've taken your eyes off of the Lord and you've just allowed the things of the world to choke out the love of God. I encourage you to put your eyes back on the Lord. It could be because you don't have a relationship with the Lord. A heart of stone can't love. Uh, you might need a new heart that comes to a relationship with Jesus. Number two. This is the greatest testimony we have. It's not how well you pull off a sermon. You know, it's not how good our music is on Sunday morning. It's not how nice our buildings are or how good our program is. The way that we really give testimony to the greatness of God and the power of the gospel is the way that we love people. People who might not even be able to love us back. And then number three, the reason we love, don't, don't, take, don't miss this. If you miss this, you miss the message. The reason we're able to love is because he first loved us. So let's praise him for the love that he's given us. And then today, if you need to respond, maybe you're here today and you want to give your heart and life to Christ, I'll be down front. You can come and talk to me. If you'd like to be baptized or join our church, you can come. If you need to pray at the altar, you're welcome to come. But we're going to sing uh, about Father's love, and we encourage you to come as we're standing and singing right now, won't you come?